Well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Good to be with you guys. Um, if you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. Good to have you. If there's any ways that we as a church can serve you or connect with you, we'd love to be able to do that. So don't hesitate to ask and let us know. Um, this summer, as a church, we've been studying through the book of Proverbs together. And Proverbs is a book in the Bible that's the goal of Proverbs is to help us grow in wisdom. Proverbs defines wisdom for us as skill in godly living. Because what Proverbs lays out for us is that wisdom isn't about what you know. Wisdom is about who you know. Because wisdom is all about knowing God. And so what it means to be wise then is to reflect God's image and his character in the way that we live and in the way that we think. And so Proverbs, it has a lot to teach us about what it means to be wise and what it looks like for us to reflect God's image and his character in tons of different areas or aspects of our lives. Proverbs is an immensely, incredibly practical book. Proverbs shows us what it means to be wise in areas we've already studied, like things like how we deal with our emotions, like a pride or anger. Last week, Aaron showed us some of what Proverbs has to say about friendship what it means to be and choose wise friends. In the coming weeks, we'll examine what Proverbs teaches us about what it means to be wise in our parenting or with regards to our work or our finances and and how we speak and, and what we use words for and how we speak and how we use words and a bunch more things. But what has underlied our study so far and what will continue to underlie all that we talk about in Proverbs is a is a focus on the heart. Because what Proverbs teaches us over and over again is that at the root of whether or not we actually become wise or that we just stay simple or stay foolish in any of those areas really boils down to what's going on in our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, as we've talked about the last number of weeks, it warns us, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. See, the direction of our heart, it determines the directions of our lives. And I've quoted this before, but Tim Keller, he he just sums it up best when he says this. In the Bible, the heart is used as a metaphor for the seat of our most basic orientation. So the direction of our heart then controls everything, our thinking, our feeling, our decisions, and our actions. And so whatever we cherish in our hearts, whatever we long for most in our hearts, whatever we desire most in our hearts, it controls the whole person. In the end, we always do what our hearts desire most and so because that's the case because our heart is the thing that drives our lives we've got to pay close attention to the desires of our heart and the actions of our lives which reveal what's going on in our heart in proverbs it has a lot to say about wisdom and about the heart but there is one thing that proverbs warns us about over and over and over and over again as we consider what it means to guard our hearts what it means to pursue wisdom what it means to to pursue the reflection of God's image and character in our lives. And the the thing that Proverbs warns us again over and over and over again is the seductiveness of sin. You see, most of Proverbs, as as you've seen over the last number of weeks, it kind of has a divinely inspired randomness to it. But for the better part of three straight chapters in Proverbs 5 through 7, as well as many other places throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon warns us over and over about the deceptive seductiveness of sin. And it's used, he uses the imagery of an adulterous woman. As so we study Proverbs this morning, what I want us to see is that if we're going to be wise, if we're, if we're going to reflect God's image and character in the way that we think, in the way that we live, then we've got to understand the seductive nature of sin. 
and how to overcome it. We've got to understand the seductive nature of sin and how to overcome it. Proverbs tells us that like a seductive woman, sin seek, it seeks to lure us in. And if we're not aware of how sin is going to, if how sin works in our lives, we are inevitably going to fall victim to it. In Homer's Odyssey, the famous historic ancient work, Ulysses is the main character of that book, and he's traveling on his way to Ithaca, and at one point in the story, he's warned about some of the dangers on his route, things that lie ahead of him on his journey. Specifically, he's warned about an island that's right on his route with these female creatures called sirens on it. And sirens, they sing these beautiful songs that lure sailors in. And their seductive song is really a deception. It's, it's a powerful deception that's, that's actually too powerful for anybody to escape. And everyone who goes near to the island who is, who is brought in by it dies. And it's, that's evidenced by this huge pile of bones that's just laying out in front of these sirens. And so knowing this, being warned about this, Ulysses, he, he, he puts wax in all of his men's ears so they won't hear it. And then he ties himself to the mast of his ship so that he won't try to go near it, right? And as they pass by, he hears these songs. And despite the fact that he can literally see this massive pile of bones laying out in front of the sirens, despite the fact that he knows exactly what will happen if he goes there, everything inside of him wants to go near and listen. And the thing that saves Ulysses from this danger is that he he understands the seductiveness of sin. It's not that he's no longer tempted by it, but it's that he sees what, where, it really lead, where it really leads. Long before Homer's Odyssey was written, the, the wisdom of Proverbs, it warns us similarly about the seductive nature of sin. You see, sin like the sirens, like an adulterous woman, it lures us in. It's like a fish lure that hides the hook behind the bait. And like Ulysses, if we want to be wise and avoid the dangerous temptation of sin, we've got to understand the seductive nature of sin and how to overcome it. And so to that end, what I want to do this morning as we study Proverbs is I want to highlight three things that Proverbs shows us about the seductive nature of sin and how we overcome it. Proverbs shows us three things. It shows us first how sin works, shows us the ways that sin seduces us. Second, Proverbs shows us where sin always leads. It shows us the bitter end sin always leads to. And lastly, Proverbs shows us the better joys of God. And so with that in mind, let's pray as we dive into our study in Proverbs. God, we just come this morning, we are so thankful for your word. God, on our topic this morning, as we think about the, the ways that sin works itself out in our hearts and in our lives and the way it lures us in, God, we, we need your spirit to give us wisdom so that we might see. God, we need you to open the blindness of our hearts and of our eyes to the ways that sin is working itself out in us so that we might live wise and holy lives given for you and for your kingdom. God, I pray that as we study your word this morning, what we'll see is not just that you're calling us to wise obedience, but rather you're calling us to life, abundant life in you. And so God, as, as I teach, as we, as we study this morning, God, what we say is we need you. We need you to empower my words as I speak. We need you to empower our ears and our hearts as we listen. God, we, need, we just ask that through your word, you might speak to us the truths that we need to hear this morning. By the power of your spirit, we would be at work in changing us. And so, God, we just come dependent on you, asking that you might empower us to, to speak and to hear. God, for our good, for your glory, pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, before we dive into our passage this morning, I just want to give just a brief bit of context. 
There's a main character that we're going to see keep coming up over and over again in the course of our passage, and it's the, the adulterous woman. In Proverbs, the adulterous woman is both a literal warning against a promiscuous women, but more importantly, and it's really important that we get this, more importantly, the adulterous woman in Proverbs is used as a metaphor that highlights the deceptive and seductive nature of sin in general. It's not just a father who is teaching his sons about about adulterous women. It's a father who is laying out for us the way sin works in our lives in general. The original audience of Proverbs was most likely young men who were training to be officials in the king's courts, many of which were probably Solomon's actual sons, hence the, the folks on adulterous women. But the same is true for men and women. And also this is the word of God, so it's profitable and useful for all of us, not just for guys. You see, the seductive nature of sin is true for both men and women, everyone all-encompassing. And so with that in mind, let's read. This morning we're in Proverbs chapter 7. We're just going to read the whole chapter. It kind of lays out this picture for us. Proverbs 7 begins this way. My son, keep my words, store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. And they will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice and I saw a simple. I saw the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. And he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house as, as, at twilight as the day was fading, at the dark night, uh, as the dark of night set in. And then came out a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. And she took hold of him and she kissed him with an abrasive face. She said, today I fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I have come out to meet you. I've looked for you. I've found you. And I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt, and I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. And she said, come, let us drink deeply of love until the morning. Let us enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took out his purse filled with money, and he will not be home till full moon. And so with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into the noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. It's the word of the Lord. As we study this morning, what I've said is that if we, if we want to be wise, then we've got to understand the seductive nature of sin and how to overcome it. And so to that end, the first thing that Proverbs shows us is it shows us are the ways that sin seduces us, the ways, the tactics that sin uses to lure us in. Many of us, we find ourselves, I think, continually falling into patterns of sin in our lives, and we wonder how we keep ending up there. We're often caught off guard by sin or taken surprised by it or we feel suddenly caught up in this river that we didn't even know we walked into and by the time we realize it, we're, we feel like we're being swept away. 
And if we want to overcome sin, we've got to learn how it works. We've got to learn how it lures us in. It's the, it's the old adage, if you want to know how to defeat your enemy, you need to first know them. You need to know how your enemy works if you're going to be able to defeat him. And so the first thing that Proverbs teaches us about the way that sin lures us in is that it lulls us into a sense of complacency. Sin, it lulls us into a sense of complacency. You see this in verse 6 and 7, 8, 9. It says, At the window of my house I looked down through the glass, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, at the dark of night set in. You see, what often happens is we think that just sin isn't a big deal. Or there's no way that we'll fall into it. It's something we've already defeated. It's something we don't have issues with. We underestimate the power of sin. What Proverbs highlights for us is that sin is both stronger and smarter than you. And to think that you aren't vulnerable towards sin is, is total foolishness. The young guy in Solomon's story here, he is either an idiot or he is just wildly brazen. He is wildly ignorant about the danger that he is heading towards, or he is convinced that it's just not going to be a problem. I got it under control. Everything's going to be fine. The young guy in Solomon's story, verse 8, says, he was going down her street, walking her direction at dusk at, as night is coming. He's just like, I know it's down that road. I'm just going to walk. It'll be fine. I'll just kind of head down there. It'll, it'll be okay. It's getting close to night. Ah, it'll be fine. You see, sin lulls us into a sense of complacency because it often looks and starts off looking small and manageable and easy to navigate around. Something that we could just deal with by ourselves. You see, the, the guy walking down the street, he's alone in the story. He's not with his friends. He's not among his friends. He's alone walking down the street. But the closer what happens is, the closer we get to sin, the more we see how big and problematic it really is. But because we often just creep towards sin slowly over time by making little compromises and rationalizing our decisions one by one, we miss that reality. We miss the reality of how big and significant sin really is. That guy or the girl at the gym that you just love talking to because they just get you and they think that you're funny they're just a friend. It's not a big deal. Those movies and Netflix shows that you watch, they're not really that bad. You can just fast forward when you need to. That one extra episode of TV at night, it's not going to make you too tired to spend time with Jesus in the morning. I just need to do or prioritize X, Y, or Z for a little bit so that I can get that next promotion. I know it's not good for my family, but it's just a little while. It's just a small compromise. See, the truth is that if you play near fire, you will get burnt. You see, sin's first seductive tactic is that it lulls us into complacency by looking small and manageable. So we'll us underestimate its significance and its power, and so that we'll be isolated when it attacks. Secondly, the second seductive deception that sin uses to lure us in is beauty. Sin just looks and sounds really good. Verse 10 says it this way, Then a woman came out to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. 16 and 18 goes on to say, she says, I've, I've covered my bed with linens from Egypt. I perfumed it with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink, drink deeply of love to the morning. Let's enjoy ourselves. Proverbs 5, 3 adds this as well of the adulterous woman. It says, For the lips of the adulterous woman, they drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. 
Proverbs 6.25 says it this way, don't lust in your heart after her beauty. Don't let her captivate you with her eyes. You see, sin, it dresses seductively. It looks enticing. It smells good. It looks desirable. We don't choose sin because we don't think it's going to be fun. We don't choose sin because it looks really terrible, right? Sin does not dress up like broccoli. Sin is the donut, okay? You can pass broccoli, no problem. There's no ranch. You don't even consider it, right? (laughs) But you got to think long and hard before you pass on a donut, right? That's not something you just walk past all willy-nilly, right? See, anyone who tells you that sin isn't fun, that it doesn't feel good, they're just a liar, Because sin is fun, and it does feel good. But it only does so for a moment, and it's fleeting and momentary, and it always gives way to regret. See, that leads us to the third thing, a third seductive tactic that sin uses. See, it emphasizes its beauty, it emphasizes its pleasure, and it minimizes its consequences. Verse 18, we see it this way. The seductress woman, she says, Come, let us drink deeply of love till the morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband, he's not at home. He's gone away on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He won't be home till full moon. And with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. You see, sin lies to us. It says, It'll be fun. It'll feel really good. It's what you really want. You won't get caught. Everything's fine. It's not a big deal. You deserve it. Sin lies to us and it smooth talks us. You see, sin uses persuasive words and smooth talk to maximize the pleasure that it offers and minimize its consequences. But like the sirens of the story of Homer's Odyssey, it's a trap. You see, the consequences of sin, they're not always disastrous, but they are always destructive. See, choosing sin is always destructive. It's destructive personally. It's destructive in relationships. It's destructive in ministry. It's destructive as you seek to be on mission with Jesus. See, sin emphasizes its pleasure in order to minimize the reality of the consequences. And what seems so innocent in the dark is always revealed to be insidious in the light. You see, sin promises what it can never deliver. Sin promises life, it promises pleasure, it promises happiness, it promises fulfillment, it promises freedom. But sin can never give any of those things because sin always offers them apart from God. Sin can never give life, it can never give joy, it can never give fulfillment, it can never give satisfaction because it always offers them apart from God. And life apart from God only leads one place. It always leads to death. Proverbs doesn't just show us the seductive way that sin works. The second thing I want us to see is that Proverbs shows us the bitter end sin always leads to. It shows us where sin always leads. Verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Verse 22, and all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Solomon writing to his sons, just pleading with them. But he says, listen, pay attention. Don't turn your heart to her ways. Don't be led straight into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are among a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave. 
leading down to the chambers of death. Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 5, it adds this. It says, For the lips of an adulterous woman, they, they drip honey, and her speech is smooth in an oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. One pastor I listened to this week said it this way. He says, Sin paints the door of death to look like the gates of life. Sin paints the door of death so it looks like the gates of life. You see, sin, it always leads to death. It always leads to destruction. The happiness sin offers, it's always short and fleeting. The pleasure sin provides, it is always momentary and fading. The fulfillment and satisfaction that sin gives, it always leaves us longing for more. It leaves us empty. All those things, they often come at the expense of our own hearts or the hearts and lives of other people. You see, the road to freedom that sin lays out before us, it always leads to bondage. That's how it always works. Sin is deceptive and it is destructive. And when we give into sin or when we are unwittingly lured into it, there are always consequences. Proverbs uses the language of sexual sin to, to talk about the broader issue of sin in our in in our the way sin works in our lives. But the sexual sin that Proverbs is using is incredibly accurate in the way that it talks about it. You see, sexual sin especially is incredibly destructive. I'm betting that everyone here has experienced that personally, or at least tangentially. Sexual sin, whether it's lust or pornography, whether it's adultery, or whether it's even the refusal to engage in sex inside of a marriage, is always destructive. It leads to guilt and it leads to shame personally. It breaks relationships. It fuels mistrust. It often hurts others through divorce or abuse or neglect. But Proverbs is not just talking about sexual sin here in 7. It's talking about the way sin works in general in our lives. You see, when we worship something other than God, when we live for something other than Him, when we long for most something other than Him, when it always is destructive, when we worship power or comfort or control or approval, there are always consequences. When I worship power, it seems right and good and better. It seems like it will fix the problems. It seems like it will make the solution work in my own heart. But it's always destructive because what happens is my wife and my kids, they always feel used or unapproved of or they feel like failures. And it eats away at the environment of trust and vulnerability that I want to foster in my home. It pushes my my wife and my kids away from me and away from the Lord. When I'm tempted to worship comfort, that offer of the removal of stress or the removal of responsibility or just some freedom to do what I want to do. It never actually gives what I want it to. And the glimpse that it gave is quickly fading. But what lasts is that my family, they feel ignored and unvalued and unloved. And it undercuts my ability to speak into their lives. And it erodes their confidence in my trust and in my leadership and in my shepherding being about their good and, and for their good. Because what it appears to be is really about me about my good you see sin it lies to us it deceives us it promises life but it always leads to death so the question is what is the way out well as we've seen we've got to learn to identify the seductive tactics that sin uses and how our hearts are susceptible to those things as well as we've got to learn to see through the deception to the true end of sin if we're going to be over, able to overcome sin's temptation. And when we understand how sin works and where it leads, we'll be able to spot it sooner. And we'll be able to take some steps to prevent it. And we'll be able to choose to steer clear of it instead of walking down the road somewhere near it. 
when we see through the deceptiveness of sin to the bitter end, it begins to lose its allure, but it does not break it. You see, just knowing how sin works and where it leads, you just need to hear this. Just knowing that will never be enough. Knowing that will never be enough. You see, sin is not something you're going to outsmart. It's not something you're going to overpower by sheer will. That's where moralism, that's where religion leaves us. Moralism and religion, it says, know better, do better. Know better, do better. It says, feel guilty, and then just try harder. But that never works, it never has, and it never is actually going to work. It's just trying to modify our behaviors. It's not ever changing our hearts. But also, I just need you to hear this as well. Gospel-centered motivations that stop at only preventing us from pursuing sin will only go so far as well. You need to hear this. Gospel-centered motivations that, that stop at just preventing us from wanting sin that will only go so far as well. This is something that I've been learning lately. As I battle the desires that I've shared often with you for comfort and for power, I've had a really good conversation with another pastor friend of mine in the last few weeks. A few weeks ago, I was just feeling really spiritually tired and exhausted. It had just been a really challenging few weeks of ministry. And I was just being tempted to run to comfort, to ease that tiredness. My friend, he just asked me, he said, how are you fighting those desires? And I just responded, I said, well, what I know is that they won't satisfy. And so I keep reminding myself that the things I, I think will give the life I'm looking for, they, they never give it. They never satisfy. And that, that helps a little bit. And I said, and I know that Jesus empowers me to choose what is hard and to choose the, what it, to choose to engage and to choose to, to be present instead of removing myself from the situation. He, Jesus empowers me to do that, what is not comfortable as he did on the cross. But the truth is, I still feel stuck. I still feel tempted towards those things. He just flat out told me what I was already experiencing to be true. He just said, that will never be enough. It will never be enough. He said, you need to ask God to show you that the comfort he gives is the comfort you are really looking for. You need to ask him that he might show you who to experience his comfort so that you won't be tempted to look to other things. Instead, you'll want to run to him because you know what he offers is best. The great 19th century preacher Thomas Chalmers, he said it this way, neither you nor anyone else can dispossess the heart of an old affection. The heart is not constituted so. He said, the only way to dispossess possess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. He goes on to say, and if that new affection, if that new affection be the love of God, it shall draw the heart of the sinner towards him. The next morning, I spent time reading in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 opens with these words. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Chapter ends with these. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow tired. Or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
And he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. In the midst of my tiredness, in the midst of my exhaustion, I got to the end of those words and I'm just weeping. Because what was true in that moment is that God met me in the midst of my tiredness. God met me in the midst of my, 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 the weight that I was carrying. God met me in the midst of, of, the, of the sense of, of burden that I had. And God comforted me. And it was what I was really longing for, to be cared for by him. To be met in that need and to be comforted by him in a way that no one and nothing else could meet me. You see, Proverbs shows us the way out of sin. It shows us that it's not just knowing how sin works and where sin leads. No, the way we overcome sin is to experience the better joys of God, to experience the expulsive power of a new affection. Chapter 7, verse 2, it reads this way, Keep my commands and you will live. Proverbs 21, 21 says it this way, Whoever pursues righteousness and love, they find life and prosperity and honor. See, Proverbs isn't just saying that following God and obeying Him is the way to survive. The words that Proverbs uses that we translate as life, they're not talking about existence. They're talking about abundant life. The word there is talking about full life. It's talking about joyful life. It's talking about overflowing life. And see, Proverbs shows us the way to real life, the way to real happiness, the way to fulfillment and pleasure. It's found in God and in obedience to Him, and it's found in experiencing the joys and the blessings that come from a life that is submitted to the one who is the author of life in the first place. And so it's when we experience that expulsive power of a new affection that the lure of sin, it loses its seductiveness. And so the question is, how do you do that? How do you get a new affection? You can't just change your favorite color. I cannot just stop the fact that I love pizza. It just is not going to change, right? So how do, we, how do we change our desires? How do, we, how do we get a new affection? I think Proverbs, the few things that Proverbs teaches us, one is that we need to enjoy the good gifts and blessings God has given us that point us to him. We need to enjoy God's good gifts that he has given that point us to him. Proverbs, 15, Proverbs verse 5 Again, it's another section talking about this. It says, Proverbs, uh, Solomon writing to his son, he says, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May she satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her loves. Adults, I would encourage you to read the non-edited version of that sometime. You see, God gives good gifts, and his gifts are life-giving blessings. The lure of sin, it loses its sparkle when we enjoy and when we treasure the good gifts God has given us. If you are married, you just need to hear this. If you are married, your spouse is a gift that God has given you. Husbands, your wife is a gift. Wives, your husbands is a gift to you. And they're meant so that, that our, our spouses are meant that they would point us to the Lord, that we would, that we would enjoy his good gifts Husbands and wives, you are a gift meant to, meant to help us experience the goodness of God and to overcome sin. And so 
just would encourage you, let God use you for that purpose. Enjoy one another. Enjoy the good gift that, that you are to one another. See, the world thinks that pleasure and happiness is found in bursts of passion and indulgence. The lie that the world wants to lead you into is that, that the place you find fulfillment is in bursts of passion and indulgence. But what the world thinks gives life is really just like cotton candy, right? You put it in your mouth and it tastes really sweet, but it is instantly gone. It doesn't even linger. It is there and it dissolves in a moment. See, when it comes to sex, the world thinks, have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, for whatever reason you want. Indulge, express yourself. But the world knows nothing of the joys of intimacy that is formed over years of a love that is forged in the midst of both joy and hardship. Just a spoiler alert. Uh, sexual fulfillment, and in this means it doesn't have anything to do with how skilled or passionate you are in the bedroom. It has everything to do with the love you foster outside of that place that overflows when you are there. And so the first way that we, that, we, that we get a new affection is by enjoying the good gifts that God has given us. For some of you, that might be your spouse. For others, it's your kids. Proverbs and the Bible talks over and over again about how our kids are a blessing to us. That we might enjoy them. Proverbs, the Bible talks about how community is a gift and is a blessing to us. And so enjoy the gift of community that God has put you in. For friends and relationships that God has had, enjoy that. Be blessed by it. See it as a gift from Him. But the second thing that we need to do to experience the expulsive power of a new affection is to enjoy the ultimate gift that God has given. You see, Tim, sin tempts us by offering a life it can never give. But there is one who came and offered his own life so that we could have the life we really long for. There is one who came that we would have life and have it to the full. There is one who came to open the door to the real tree of life. And he did it by hanging on a tree of death. His name is Jesus. See, Jesus came that you and I might have life. And he died for sinners who cheered for his death. And, the, and his death is a result of, of my sin and of your sin. It's the result of sin, but his death results in life for sinners. When your heart is wooed by Jesus' affection for you, when your heart is wooed by his love for you, when his, your heart is wooed by his immense grace and mercy and his, and his heart poured out for you, oh, how that displaces how it dispossesses our hearts of the seductive temptations of sin. We see him as so much more beautiful, so much better than what we've been living for and satisfied with. You see, Jesus came that we would have life, but he also showed us the way to real life. Jesus exemplified the wisdom of Proverbs. He proved what Proverbs 21, 21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life and prosperity and honor. Jesus pursued righteousness and love perfectly. God exalted him to the place that is above every name. You see, unlike Solomon, Jesus did not just tell us the way to life. He showed us. One commentator writes it this way, Solomon had matchless wisdom, yet was outsmarted by sin's schemes. 
Solomon had matchless wisdom, but was outsmarted by sin's schemes. You see, even the wisest man ever was not smarter than sin. You cannot just know where it leads. He goes on, he said, Solomon counseled others to lean not on their own understanding, yet he did not take his own counsel. The record of Solomon's life is just like a disastrous train wreck. It's one who was given wisdom, but one who exemplified foolishness. And what happened is it started little by little in the life of Solomon. And he made small compromises and little things in which he thought he could manage. And in the end, he was overwhelmed by a thousand wives who drew him everywhere but towards the Lord. That is how sin works its way out in our hearts. It starts small and it's deceptive, but it becomes overpowering for us. And so God gives us Solomon as an example that we might be instructed and warned not to fall into the same temptations as he did. But he also, it's not just about avoiding Solomon's example, but it's about finding help from the one who is greater than him. It's finding help from the one who is greater than Solomon, the one who is greater than our sin. And Jesus, Jesus is stronger and wiser and more beautiful than sin. He fulfills and satisfies in the ways that sin can never do. And so the invitation is that we might cling to him, that we might find in him all that we need to resist the seductive deception of sin. That's what we remember. That's what we celebrate as we take communion every week. When we take the bread together, we're remembering our Reminding ourselves and each other of is that Jesus' body was broken for us as in wisdom he skillfully lived the life that we did not so that we could be credited with his righteousness and his perfectly lived wisdom. And when we take the drink, what we're reminding ourselves is that Jesus' blood was shed for us, that he paid the penalty our, that our sin separated us from God that we deserved and his life given for us makes us right with the Lord. And so as we take communion, what we're doing is proclaiming the gospel. What we're doing is preaching to ourselves and to one another the good news about who Jesus is and all that he's done and how that's the thing that changes us because it's the beauty of the gospel that displaces the allure of sin. And it's the treasure of God made known in the person and the work of Jesus that, by which we experience the expulsive power of a new affection that replaces the allure of sin in our hearts. And it's the gospel that changes us. It's the gospel that enables us to reflect God's image and his character. You need to see this. No strategy, no power, no system, no desire will be enough. Rather, it's Jesus. It's him made beautiful. It's him made beautiful to you every day by the power of the Spirit in you. It's his beauty that displaces the seductive temptation of sin. It's an enjoyment of him. It's a treasuring of him. It's a love for him. It's it's seeing him. Communion, it's in the back. During our time of worship, you just go whenever you feel led. There's a spot on the left and on the right, and you just go and you dip the bread into the juice and you celebrate and remember that in that way all that Jesus has done for you. And as you do, I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you are in the midst of sin, feel like you are in the midst of the temptation of that, you feel stuck in it, you feel seduced by it, the invitation is that we would repent. 
Proverbs 28, 13 says it this way, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them, they find mercy. And so talk to the Lord. Be honest with him about what your heart has pursued and what you have longed after. Be honest with someone in the community about that as well. Sin preys on, it feeds on isolation. And so repent to the Lord and to one another. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, then I would just encourage you this morning, put your trust in him, repent of sin, and turn to him as the only one that is worth worshiping and worth living for. And all of us, no matter where you are at, I would just invite you, ask God to help you experience his better joys and the blessing of his good gifts. My journal that morning as I read Isaiah 40, I just wrote and I said, God, I know that what you offer is better. God, help me to experience it so that I know that it's better. God wants us not just to know what is true. He wants us to experience what is good. Ask him. Ask him that he might show you the blessing and the better, how much better his joys are how much better the life that he gives is so that not only will sin lose its allure, but rather the Lord and obedience to him and pursuit of him will, will become the most attractive thing you could long for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come and God, we just confess we are sinners. God, and our hearts are so easily lured away. God, we are so tempted by by the, the fleeting pleasures of this world. God, and we, we are seduced by the, the pleasure that the world offers and we minimize its consequences. And God, we forget that the world cannot offer the life that we are looking for because it offers it apart from you. God, and we just say we are fools and we are simple, but we need you, Jesus, to make us wise. God, we need you to make us wise. We need your spirit in us to give us eyes to see the, the seductive nature of sin, to give, give us eyes to see the bitter end it always leads to. We need your spirit to make Jesus beautiful to us. So we love and long for most is you. Jesus, God, for our good, for your glory, might you dispossess our hearts of our old affections. God, might you... Help us to experience the expulsive power of your affections for us. We want to live for you and love you. God, and reflect your image and character. And we want to become wise in the way that we live and think. God, for our good, but more than anything, for your great and abiding glory in all ways, in all times, for all people. In your good name, God. Amen.